Good morning, good morning. Yeah, it was really cool, the kids finding your ring, Howard. And it had your name in it, so couldn't really do anything with it. No, I'm just kidding. No, um, yeah, that was really neat. But uh, what a powerful uh, testimony that through that, just understanding that I was once lost, but now I'm found. And that has a whole new meaning when that scripture verse comes to life like that, right? And that's the power of revelation. You know, when you see the cartoons and a character, a cartoon character suddenly gets the light bulb. Bing, 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 bing. Revelation. And when God gives us a revelation about something, it's absolutely life transforming. It is. And you know what? That's what this series is all about. A couple weeks ago, two weeks ago now, we started a new series called Set the Soundtrack. And um, it's talking about our thought life. Because that's the greatest area of our battles. Our spiritual battle is fought in the mind. And in that sermon two weeks ago, I was talking about our dominant discourse. The thoughts that we think over and over and over again. Right? That gets stored up in, my, in our minds, kind of like on your iTunes app, the most frequently played songs. Like they get automatically generated into that file. And we have something like that in our minds. It's the most frequently thought minds, the dominant discourse. And the enemy uses those thoughts to keep us in bondage. But we looked at the passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 that says, Take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. And, and two weeks ago in that sermon, we talked about how not every thought is your thought. That some of the thoughts that come into our minds, as crazy as they may seem, they're not our own. That they come from the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms and we need to take captive those thoughts. And this, this, this picture that I got um, while I was receiving a revelation from the Lord about this, was the, the picture of the Iron Dome, which is the, the missile defense system in Israel. Um, it's a very sophisticated defense system because rockets come in from the enemy daily trying to bomb Israel. And so they have this very sophisticated system called the Iron Dome where a missile, it's will be shot into the sky and, and blast those rockets out of the air before it reaches the target. And uh, we have an iron dome of the mind where we can take captive every thought, knowing that not every thought is my thought. And we can come to a place where we can say, I cannot afford to entertain a thought that is not of God for me. And so if it's not of God, blow it out of the sky of the mind. And so that's what the sermon was two weeks ago. And today we're continuing on in this series. And I'm going to shift gears a little bit and talk about perhaps the most vulnerable area of our minds where the enemy wants to attack us in. Satan wants to attack us in our identity. In our identity. Satan attacks us in that er area of our identity. And he did so against Jesus. There's a passage in Luke chapter 4 where you read about Jesus. He's in the wilderness and he's being tempted. He wasn't eating. He was fasting 40 days. Now, I don't know about you. Maybe you've fasted before. 
but I'm not so good at fasting. The only thing I think about is food when I'm fasting. It's just crazy temptation when you're fasting. Jesus was going through that kind of a trial and the devil came to tempt him. And the very first temptation was this. He says, if you are the son of God, turn this stone into bread. And you know what? If I was fasting and in that position and that thought came in, I would really try to turn stone to bread. But you know what's interesting? That wasn't, turning the stone into bread wasn't the first temptation. The first temptation was to not believe who God said he was. Because in the previous passage, God said, this is my son whom I love, with whom I'm well pleased. And so the first temptation from the enemy was, if you are the son of God, questioning his identity. Satan will attack us in that area. And there's a strategic reason why Satan does that is because everything we do, we do out of our understanding of who we are. How we speak, how we act, how we behave comes out of our understanding of our identity, of who we are. And so the enemy wants to distort that as much as he can. And so we need to understand who we are in Christ. It's a huge topic. There's no possible way I could do it in one sermon. And so we're actually going to camp on this topic of identity. And I'm just going to look at one area of identity today. And then we'll continue on as this series unfolds. Because there's many aspects of identity we need to look at. And so uh, we're going to start this topic with the, within this series Uh, set the soundtrack. To start off, I want to read this passage that's found in Romans chapter 8, and it's found in verse 5 to 9. This is what it says. So Romans chapter 8. Uh, If you have your Bibles, you could turn to that. It's also going to be up on the screen. But Romans chapter uh, 8, verses 5 to 9, this is what it says. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh But in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. The title for my message this morning is The Power of Belonging. Let's pray. God, thank you. Your word does not return void. It will accomplish what it sets out to accomplish. And I thank you. We thank you for that. God, I pray for revelation for revelation, not just knowledge, but revelation that it becomes a part of who we are. That, Lord, we would have a paradigm shift from your word this morning that would change the course of our lives, that we can set the soundtrack of our minds to your frequency, to your voice, to who you say we are, and totally discard the things that the enemy tries to bring to keep us in bondage. 
Lord, you came to set the captives free. Would you do that today? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Pastor David shared a story one time in one of his sermons. I really love this story. Um, You may have remembered it. It's a story of a man who lost his identity. Totally lost his identity. And it's one of those stories where if you were to hear it, you're like, is this real? Like, is this actually real? It sounds like a movie. Something that happened to this man losing his identity. Well, the story goes like this. There was a guy found naked and beaten up behind a Burger King in Georgia back in 2004. All his ID, everything was taken, stolen, and he was left for dead. And so one of the workers in Burger King came out, saw this. They were astonished. They called the the police. They called 911. Ambulance rushed to get him. They took him to the hospital. And the guy could not remember who he was He didn't know his name. He didn't know anything about himself. And so at the hospital, they're like, well, what do we do here? Let's just give him a name. And they they type in John Doe, but it's already taken. It's already in the hospital records. And so they gave him the name Benjamin Kyle out of, you know, because the the, um, initials BK for Burger King. They took the initials BK and named him Benjamin Kyle. Okay. If you were to YouTube this, Google it, you'll find it. You know, it, news outlets all across America put this man on, on media. And they would interview him. And one of the, I can't remember which news outlet it was, but uh, one of the guys, you know, they had this guy, Benjamin Kyle, on the news. And they asked him, or they said to him, you know, I'd like to say, how are you doing? But maybe it's better to say, oh no, how are you? Maybe it's better to ask you, who are you? And they, they kind of made this big story about this guy. And it went to the point where Dr. Phil even put this guy on the Dr. Phil show. Because it's just bizarre. Now, here's the thing about Benjamin Kyle's story. The saddest thing about his story wasn't the fact that he was beaten up and left for dead. As sad and difficult as that must have been for the guy. The saddest thing wasn't the fact that he got dissociative amnesia, completely forgetting everything, as sad and difficult as that must have been. The saddest thing that happened to him is this. Nobody came to say, he belongs to me or he belongs to us. He's a part of my family. He's my husband. He's my brother. He's my father. He's my whatever. He's a church member. He's a bowling club member. Nothing. Nobody came to claim him, to say he's a part of us. News all over United States. Nobody came. That is tragedy. He had no belonging. And church, that is devastating. As humans, we were hardwired in our soul. There is this deep, innate need. A deeply emotional, deeply psychological, deeply spiritual need for belonging. Every single human being has this. We crave it. We long for it. We search for it. 
And there are some people who will do anything to obtain it. Even to the point of compromising their morals and their character and their nature. All to just feel like they belong to something. I believe that is where the gangs become enticing to, for some people to join gangs. Why? Because there's this sense of belonging. I'm a part of something. ISIS has that same thing, a militant terrorist group. Why would anyone join something like that? There's a deep need to belong to something. And they come alongside and they feel like this is a part of who they are. Even though they wreak havoc on society. And when that deep inner human need for belonging is met through gangs, through whatever. That's when they perceive their sense of identity, even though it's an illusion. You know, I saw this as clear as day when I was working at a youth detention center in Kitchener where young offenders, boys aged 12 to 18, would come. Various reasons they were incarcerated and they came to uh, this detention center. I was a youth care worker at this place. And uh, 12 to 18-year-olds, a lot of them were like 14, 15, they would come in. And some of these kids, they're street kids. And a lot of them, they were part of one of the street gangs in Kitchener. And, you know, they'd come in, they'd have their, like, gang attire. They'd have their flags, you know, their bandanas coming out of their back pocket. And they have their hats on. They'd have their gang signs. You'd be like, what's up, you know, what's up, man? I'm a blood, you. And they'd be like, wow, yo. And I, I would be like, yo, I, I have a gang sign too. You want to see mine? They'd be like, what are you talking about? I'm like, this is my gang sign. You know what I'm saying? And they'd be like, what's that? I'm like, it's a fish. Okay? It's a fish. I'm a fisher of man. You know what I'm saying? And so anyway, <laughs> so funny. <laughs> I wanted to belong. I wanted to, you know, try to belong. You know, what's up? What's up? I'm a fish. What's up? You know. But it's interesting how they would do all these things to be a part of a gang. It's like, yo, what's up, what's up? And so an um, interesting thing about this is that when they got into trouble, let's say they broke a rule, they did something they shouldn't have, they stole something or did something that they shouldn't do. And, and if we were to confront them in front of their friends, wow, it's incredible what kind of response we get. Like, hey, you broke the rule. This is the consequence. What are you talking about, man? I could do whatever I want. <laughs> Gang signs and all this. And they, they, they'd, be, they'd act up. They would swear. They would act all tough. You know, all their feathers roughed up. Oh, they'd be like this. But if I were to take that kid aside on his own, away from the peers, totally different person. I mean, they, some of them, they'd be like, oh, I, I know. I, I don't know why I did that. I'm so sorry. They'd be sheepish, and they'd be very, very apologetic. You know, I, I won't do that again. I'm so sorry. And I'm like, what? Two totally different people. And the interesting thing about this is they have no idea they're being that way. They have no clue. They have no clue that they are lying to themselves about themselves. And you know, I have a feeling it's not just gang members that do this. I think we all have that possibility of doing that. Why? For belonging. For belonging. That is the power of belonging. As humans, we desire it. It's a powerful desire in our soul for belonging and it will cause us to do things even without us knowing about it in order to achieve belonging. 
Bruxy Cavey wrote this. I think it's so wise. He said, humans long for unconditional love, but market a false self to get conditional love. Hence, our true selves are neither known or loved. Wow. Yeah, think about that for a moment. It's like, wow, really? I love that quote. So right on. I can even say it this way. Humans long for belonging, but market a false self to get a false sense of belonging. Hence, our true selves are neither known or loved. And this is where the devil pounces and attempts to set the soundtrack of our minds by distorting our minds, by distorting, by detouring our minds so that we try to get belonging from places and people that were never meant to give us that sense of belonging. That's what the devil wants to do. And so the key is, we need to know, where does this need to belong come from? We all have it. It's a thirst of our soul that craves. Where does it come from? I believe the answer, we can find it in the Bible. And to find it, we need to go right back to the beginning, the book of Genesis. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He created all things. He created the sky, the sea, the land, the birds, the fish, the beasts of the field. He created Adam and Eve in his image, in his likeness. And humankind, people, Adam and Eve, had perfect union with God. In the Garden of Eden. The word Eden means blissful, delightful. How many of you want to experience bliss and delight always? We crave it. When life goes wrong, when things happen, when we're struggling, when we're in strife, when we're stressing, we want, crave, bliss. That's what Eden was. Blissful, delightful union with God. We had it. Belonging wasn't a thing. Why? Because we had it. It was perfect union with God. We go to Genesis chapter 2. It talks about how that belonging played out. We were, we were part of God's plan to rule and reign over the creation together with God. Naming the beasts of the field. Naming the animals. It was a part of who we are. And again, we had that perfect union with God. Then we come to Genesis chapter 3 and something happens in Genesis 3. The serpent comes and tempts Eve, tempts Adam to do the very thing that God told them not to do. And so through the sin of disobedience, that fellowship was broken. That fellowship was broken. And they were banished from Eden, the place where they had perfect union from God. It was separated. 
Genesis 3:24 says, He drove out the man, and at the east of the Garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. That fellowship was broken. And that broken fellowship with God is where the abyss of the soul that longs for it back was formed. That's where the thirst for belonging formed. Psalm 42.2 says, My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? Our souls yearn. That's what it does. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter where you're from. You could be from Asia, Africa, Europe, Australia, America. It doesn't matter. Every single country in this world, every culture, this is a human thing. Our souls yearn, crave. And throughout human history, people have turned to things, riches, idols, people, philosophies, religions to try to fill that void. But it doesn't work. It's temporary. It has an expiry date. It doesn't last. It's like going to McDonald's. I love McDonald's, by the way. (laughs) I really love McDonald's, actually. I like McFarland. Uh, McChickens, filet fish quarter pounder with cheese. Sometimes I like all three of them. And so I'll go with my kids, I'll take them to McDonald's, I'll eat a quarter pounder meal, and I'll also get another sandwich, maybe two others sometimes. Crazy, right? Like, I don't know. Anyways, I'll eat all this food, and I'll sit, and I eat quicker than my kids, they're still eating. And uh, I'll be done, I'm like, oh, that was good. Feel full. Five minutes goes by, and I'm eyeballing their fries. <laughs> I want some of their fries, so I take some of their fries. Are you done with that? I'll take them of that, you know. They're like, oh, boo. I'm like, don't worry. You know, that's the benefit of having multiple kids, because you can take one fry from each of them, and it doesn't hurt them, you know, that much, right? <laughs> Meanwhile, I get six fries, so it's amazing, amazing, amazing. Anyways, it doesn't last. You get hungry again. That's a part of eating. But our souls do that very thing. Our souls hunger and thirst. And when we go after things, riches, people, places, philosophies, religion, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. The thirst continues. Isaiah 55, 2-3 says, Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your, your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen to me, says the Lord, and eat what is good and delight yourself in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live. The abyss of our souls is a desire factory that seeks fulfillment. So what we need to understand is this, that that longing for belonging is really a calling out for God. At the core of our longing is a calling out for God. Though many people don't know it, 
yet they search. The human soul searches and searches and searches. But it is only God who can truly satisfy our soul searchings. And so God did something about that. God came to meet us where we're at. Jesus Christ, God incarnate, came for us to restore and repair that broken fellowship with God. Jesus did that by dying on the cross for our sin. He is the atonement for our sin. He's the one who paid the price. He paid it all. He takes our sin away. God did that because God loves us. Romans 5, 8 says, But God shows his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Not because we had it all together. Then he came. He came because we couldn't do anything about it. He came. He did it for us. Why? Because he loves us. He loves us. Christ died for us. He paid the penalty for our sin so that those who come to him and repent and believe in him, those who do that, belong to him. John chapter 1 verse 12 says, But to all who receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Our longing for belonging is completely fulfilled when we come to Christ because we find what we've been longing for the whole time. Restored fellowship with God the way we were meant to be. Jesus came to do that for us. He, through the spirit that lives inside of us, quenches that thirst to belong finally. But then that brings us back to Romans chapter 8, the passage that we read. And Paul is talking about something here in Romans 8. And the way he's describing it, he's describing a tension. There's a tension here. There's a tension between the mind that is set on the flesh and the mind that is set on the spirit. There's a tension. And here's the thing, okay? This is what he says in verse 6. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. You see the tension, right? Here's the thing about this passage, and I think it's very important to note this. Paul was writing to the church, to believers, to those who've tasted and seen that the Lord is good, to those who've had that fellowship restored. He's saying that to the church. Why? Because the enemy will do whatever it takes to try to knock you off of the path, to distort your thinking, to go back to former passions, back to former delights that don't last, that don't fulfill, that don't satisfy. He tries to move you back to that. And he's saying to the church, come back. And he says it like this in verse 9. You, however, he's talking to the church, you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. But we do belong to Him. How many of you know you belong to Christ? That the Spirit of God dwells in you. 
Perhaps you're here and you're not sure. I'm not sure about that. I believe you can be sure. I believe you can. I believe you can experience God in such a way that he becomes everything, your greatest treasure, what you've been looking for your whole life. You experience that belonging met. I believe you can. We're going to pray for that in a moment. But those of you who know you belong to Christ, you know the Spirit of God dwells in me and God is my Father. I am a child of God. What we need are reminders, just as Paul was reminding the church in Romans chapter 8. We need to be reminded of that. Why? Because we're in a battle. The soundtrack of our minds is trying to be set. The enemy's trying to set it in a different way again, over and over. It's a battle for the mind. That's why we need to be reminded of who we belong to. And that's what Paul was doing in Romans 8, and that's what we need to do today. So I want to close with these reminders, three reminders for us to keep on that soundtrack that belongs to God. Number one, you are not your own. 1 Corinthians six nineteen to 20 says, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within, who, within you whom you have from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. You and I are not our own. We've been purchased, redeemed, blood-bought. This is an important reminder for us because we live in a culture that worships independence and individuality. Now, there are important aspects of independence and individuality. Absolutely, there are. Absolutely. But there comes a time where it can lead us to danger where we begin to sit on the throne of our own lives. And that's a danger in our culture. We need to be aware of that. And so this reminder is key. You're not your own. You've been bought, redeemed, purchased by God through Christ. And here's the beautiful thing about this. A person who has been redeemed by God, who's been purchased by God, by nature, they preach through their lives, who God is. By nature, you do that. Why? Because you're thankful. I'm redeemed. I've been bought. My life now, I exist to not make myself great. I exist to make God great through my life. You are not your own. God gets the glory through my life. And it's very beautiful how the more I live for his glory, the more I am satisfied. The more glory he gets, the more satisfaction I get. I've been bought. You've been bought. We are not our own. Number two, live out of God's approval, not for man's approval. 1 Corinthians 7, 22 to 23 says this, For he who was called in the Lord as a bondservant is a freed man of the Lord. Likewise, he who was free when called is a bondservant of Christ. You were bought with a price. 
Again, that's talking about belonging. You belong to God. You were bought with the price. Do not become bondservants of men. Because we were bought with a price and belong to God, we are already accepted and approved by God. We need to live out of acceptance and approval. But if we live for the acceptance and approval of people, people pleasing, the Bible says it's a form of slavery. It's a form of slavery. Now, that doesn't mean we could go around and just be jerks to everybody. No, that's not what I'm saying, okay? We need to be mindful and we need to be loving, of course. But people-pleasing, looking for people's approval to the point where I will compromise who I am, compromise who God's made to be so that I could please people, that's slavery. Why? Because you'll never achieve it. It's, I'm going to borrow the phrase from Ecclesiastes, it's like chasing after wind, Meaningless. You can't please everybody. Not possible. It's an impossible task. Why waste our, ex- our energy on something that you cannot obtain? That's slavery. And God's saying, you don't need to do that. Why? Because you're already accepted in Christ. Wow. Live out of that reality. Not for an illusion. Number three. Don't chase counterfeit passions. Galatians 5, 24 says, And those who belong to Christ, love this, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Those who discover their belongingness in Christ are no longer doomed to be led by earthly passions and desires. We don't need them. Why? Because we understand the fleeting nature of them. People who've discovered their belongingness in Christ, they have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Because our soul's craving is found in him. We don't need anything else. So when the enemy tries to derail you and tempt you to go back to those fleeting passions and desires, remember that the new you doesn't need those things and actually doesn't find fulfillment in those things because the old you has been crucified with Christ. So to close, I want to say this. In order to know who you are, you need to know whose you are. In order to know who you are, you need to know whose you are. A part of the discovery, or what they're trying to do, I think still to this day for Benjamin Kyle is, who's his father? Who are his parents? Who are the bloodline? They did DNA testing. They did all that trying to find his lineage to try to find out whose he is so that they can tell him who he is. We need to know. In order to know who you are, you need to know whose you are. So you might be here this morning and you are wondering 
whose am I? That sense of belonging that you are craving. You're tired of chasing. You're tired of chasing after things and people and places and stuff to try to fill that void. You're tired. God is calling you. Find rest in me. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. Come find rest in Christ. There may be those of you, you've been following after Jesus for many years. You belong to him. You have the spirit of God dwelling within you. But somehow you find yourself in enemy territory. And your mind has been set on earthly things. And you're tired. Because those things don't satisfy. You know it. Come back. Jesus wants you to come back. And so I want to pray for you. I want to end in praying over you. And I want to encourage you afterwards to just stay in that space of prayer and connection with God. And so, let's pray. God, you are everything that our souls are searching for. We're searching for you. You say if you seek me, you will seek me and find me when we seek you with all our hearts. And so right now, Lord God, I pray for those who have been craving and striving and seeking and finding nothing satisfies. I pray for those that, Lord, you would meet them today in a profound way by your Spirit invading their lives and fulfilling that abyss of the soul that is searching for you. Fill them, Lord. We thank you that you have made the way through the blood of Jesus for our sins so that we can be called children of God, that we can become children of God. So I pray for that revelation. And for those of us, Lord God, we love you, we declare it, but we found ourselves behind enemy lines and we are struggling Lord, you are here to help us, to pluck us out of the miry clay and to set our feet upon the rock, the rock of your son, Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, I pray that you would do that to reorient our passions, to reorient and redirect our affection and our attention to you, the one who truly satisfies our souls. So, Lord, have your way in us today. We love you. We love you. We love because you first loved us. Would you encounter us with your love so that the belonging tank would be filled today, right now, in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week.